Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. Welcome to A Special Place in Hell, the podcast where an aging Gen X author and a self-hating millennial activist come together to thoroughly and conclusively solve our culture war problems with our combined wit, wisdom, and most importantly, lived experience. I am the aging Gen X author, Megan Daum, and with me is the self-hating millennial, Sarah Hader. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Megan. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm sick. I have COVID. But I'm here for this podcast, showing up, doing the work. Are you sure you have COVID? It's not monkeypox? Uh, <laughs> um, no, yeah. Well, so what are the symptoms of monkeypox again? Like um, a rash or something? Tweeting a lot about it? I think that's one of the symptoms. Okay, well, then I have monkeypox. Then I, I've had it for years, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it affects people who are, like, I think oh, being too online is a comorbidity okay. for monkeypox uh, succumbing to. Uh, well, yeah. it was inevitable. Um, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. You really do think you have COVID? Yeah, I do. Yeah, sure, definitely. And and it's it's sort of on the, it's I'm, I'm getting, rapidly getting worse. So I started getting, feeling really bad, um, day before yesterday and slowly it's just been it just every couple of hours I feel noticeably worse um, mm. so um, um, sorry. so I'm gonna be a little silent if uh, yeah that's fine that's okay. this is a great opportunity for me to just uh, railroad you <laughs> I have to say I noticed a, a tweet this morning um, this is very germane a Yale medical doctor uh, who calls herself a harm reduction specialist tweeted because as you know you're in good company because president joe biden also has covid uh mm, so mm-hmm. he so she tweeted potus working while having covid infection epitomizes white supremacy urgency in the workplace sets a bad example for everyone that he cannot rest covid infection is serious symptoms debilitating for many and people should take time off without working through it so <laughs> I'm imposing my white supremacy onto you by recording this podcast, even though you're sick. So insane. What this language of just, I don't know what it is. These people have these glasses on and everything filters through and can only ever be this one thing interpreted in this one way. Just say you don't like it. White supremacy urgency. (laughs) Just eliminate the part where you're talking about white supremacy. Just say that this is a bad thing. It doesn't have to be. It's a bad thing. Also, it's white supremacy. Yeah, well, that you know what is I mean. There like anything it, that's bad that's not white supremacy? Well, I mean, it just feels like some. It's like a shortcut, you know, to getting people riled up about something, to getting them to be on your side about something. Just make the case. Yeah, that 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 you think that he's he's, you know, what the example he's setting is a bad one, and we just everyone should should learn. But to can relax you imagine if take, he wasn't working, then they'd be going crazy. Then that would be white supremacy, right? I, yeah, that's a little. I don't understand it. So, yeah, I, not working while you're sick, I suppose that's in the same category as showing up on time, um, being able to do math. Okay, and, I think if he was taking time off, people English. would say, if if he was taking time off, 
there would also be you can make the case that, okay, well, if Obama had done this, then he would be, you know, uh, called lazy and all this stuff. So he's he's, in fact, using his white privilege to take some time off when the rest of us can't afford it. Yeah. Or something. The other thing, though, like, does anybody take time off anymore? Because so many people are still working from home. So it's really pretty hard to take time off. It's hard to justify it because if you're not infecting anybody, you can still, quote unquote, go into the office. You can still kind of work. Yeah. And and I think... Also, people are just sick all the time now. I mean, that's happening in my my workplace. Just every, you know, couple of weeks, someone's sick, and maybe they take a day off to just rest. But then they they then they're back at work or back on the computer anyway, um, doing what they can. And we presume like we presume that it, it's okay if they're not giving it a hundred percent because they're sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if this is just like the normal for work that people are just showing up a little sick all the time. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you showed up today. Um, and we're going to, we're going to try to keep this episode on the shorter side. So, so I don't impose too much of my colonialist instinct upon you because (laughs) under normal circumstances, we'd record for like five hours. (laughs) You wouldn't believe the stuff that's on the editing room floor. (laughs) Or the stuff that we say right before and right after. (laughs) The stuff that we say right before, like when we're doing a sound check and they're like, oh God, no, we're not going to say that. Too bad we can't say that. Uh, yeah, um, we yeah. might save it for the um, for the for the bonus content. All right, is there anything we want to say to our um, to our listeners? We've got we're getting like a really nice audience growing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we got a lot of good response on all all of our episodes. I mean, for those of you who are listening on like Apple Podcasts or somewhere else, if you go on our Substack page, you can leave comments. Yes. Um, if you are a paying subscriber, you can leave comments. Um, and so a lot of people do, and they reply back and forth to each other, and it's like an interesting little space. Yeah, we're going to talk about some of the responses to the porn discussion we had. Uh, but first, I wanted to talk about something that I did this past week. I went to a screening for a documentary uh, called Jihad Rehab, and it has a, a fascinating backstory um, I know you haven't seen the film, but I feel like you would have some things to say about this. So basically, um, the filmmaker is this woman named Meg Smaker or Smaker. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's S-A-M-S-M-A-K-E-R. Uh, she was a firefighter. She did not have um, any kind of background in filmmaking or in the arts, really. I think she's probably... Uh, about 40 now, maybe in her early 40s. And she was a firefighter in the Bay Area for a really long time. She comes from a a family of firefighters. And uh, around 9-11, she just got really turned off by a lot of the sort of bigotry and the among her co-workers talking about um, Islam and, and Muslims. So she just decided to travel to Afghanistan. She was a very young woman at the time. And she fell in love with the region. She became really curious about it. She ended up living in Yemen and learning Arabic and, you know, very much having a a life there. She stumbled upon a story about uh, a rehab facility in Saudi Arabia for people who had been uh, detainees from Guantanamo who were finally coming back. And part of the release program involved them being in this sort of deprogramming 
program for uh, a period of months, maybe even up to a year. And so she chronicles three men in particular, Yemeni nationals, who go through this program. And it's a really interesting film. It's really layered. There's a lot going on. She speaks Arabic. We don't see her on camera, but she's speaking in Arabic to these men. She 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 spent years on the film. It obviously is a, is a massive undertaking. I went to see it as part of a fundraiser for the organization FAIR, the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, which is kind of like the new ACLU. They're doing a lot of things in the free speech space and um, kind of <laughs> picking up a lot of the slack that the ACLU has uh, decided not to do anymore. Um, and I knew that there was a controversy around this film. Uh, it had been uh, canceled from a lot of film festivals. Uh, it had been at the Sundance Film Festival. And then there was a, a huge outcry about it. And uh, essentially, all of the donors, all of the producers, including Abigail Disney, distanced themselves from the film. And it was like a real... Um, it was a it was it was a pretty big deal in the documentary film world, and I was sitting there watching the film, and I was like, "What? What could it be? What was? What could have gotten this canceled?" And I kept expecting something to happen where, like, the the people portray suddenly it became like <laughs> very racist against them, or there was some kind of overt transgression in terms of tone or content and it just never never came so well, I, but before I, I i give it away what are you thinking as i'm as i'm describing this can you imagine sarah what the problem might have been um you know generally just the fact that she was a white woman covering this ding, ding, topic ding. <laughs> well you're smarter than me because i was like what 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 is it what could it be yikes so, yeah, that's basically it. Uh, she that's is crazy. She's not only a white woman, she's a blonde woman. She's uh -oh. very tall, striking. She has long blonde hair. She's a very imposing presence. She, she was a firefighter. OK, mm. this is not somebody who went to art school. This is not somebody with any kind of pretensions. This is a really unusual. I don't think I've ever seen a, a filmmaker and any kind of artist on stage talking about her work the way this this woman does it's it was refreshing um but yeah essentially it, it screened at sundance and this was a big deal she was getting a lot of jobs she had representation she was it was the beginning of a career for her in filmmaking and i guess it was a a sort of you know collective or, or some kind of alliance of Muslim American or, or maybe just Muslim filmmakers wrote a letter or, you know, waged some kind of campaign to say that this was inappropriate and uh, everything On, fell inappropriate down from there. To, I mean, did they uh, explicitly verbalize like what, what was wrong with the film or was it just the, a lot of them had her seen position. It. Uh, okay. So, yeah. so um, <laughs> Abigail Disney, who was um, the, the executive producer of the film wrote a response uh, that is truly remarkable. I'll, I'll just read a little bit from it. Um, she said, first and foremost, I am truly sorry. A film I executive produced jihad rehab 
And I should just say that this is not the greatest title. Um, I'm sure there are reasons that that was a title, but the film is a lot more sophisticated and nuanced that, than that title would suggest. But that's often the case with titles. Okay. A film I produced has landed like a truckload of hate on people whom I sincerely love and respect. I know that it could not matter less how it was intended to land. Okay. Are you hearing this? Mm-hmm. It could not matter less how it was intended to land. It created deep and unnecessary pain. And for that, I take responsibility and apologize. <sighs> the responses have been painful, significant, bewildering, and deeply stressful for each of us in different ways. Adding to the weight of two years of pandemic trauma, a nation that seems to be melting down around us and bone deep. What's the word that's coming after this? Exhaustion. Exhaustion. (laughs) Well done. And anger over centuries of racist patterns, systems, assumptions, and practices was never my intention, but that has certainly been the outcome. And perhaps the most painful piece of the puzzle is that I have hurt those whom I have always meant to support. Yeah, Abigail Disney and the Disney family has always been very supportive of the Muslim community, if if I recall. Is that correct? Mm. Yeah, I, I have no idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, my mistakes are myriad, so I will not be able to claim all of them in a single list, but I will try. I am sure there's much more that I do not see, and I do hope that if that is so, someone will trust me enough to tell me what they are. Okay, so here, this is the way she's saying she failed as an executive producer of this film. I took everything at face value, every step of the way, even though I knew there had to be more to the security question then should have been satisfied by the representations of a single party. I should have found another perspective that could have strengthened my analysis of how safe the protagonist might be once the film was released. So I guess part of the uh, part of what's being claimed is that the, the, by just by virtue of appearing in this film, um, the men who are portrayed are in danger. P- part of the you know, what the film is about is the fact that these guys, they went through this program. The idea is that they're going to be reintroduced in society. And by the way, they were in Guantanamo Bay for one of them, 16 years, really long periods of time, were tortured. The descriptions that they give of being waterboarded um, and and worse in some cases are harrowing. It really, really makes you hate the U.S. government as much as they do. Uh, and, you know, obviously this is why this is the, the catch 22 of Guantanamo, because the longer these guys are in there, the more they hate the U.S. and the bigger security threat they presumably become if they get released. So that's something that's talked about. But really, these guys, they get they get out of this program. But the problem is they're not allowed to leave Saudi Arabia and the ones who are not Saudi nationals are now under the new regime, not able to get jobs in that country. So they are in some cases just as disenfranchised um, and lost as they, as they were before, which were the very things that led them into um, joining extremist groups. Okay. Um, Abigail Disney says, I should have pushed back on the idea that the protagonist consented to appear in the film. A person cannot freely consent to anything in a carceral system, particularly one in a notoriously violent dictatorship. Now, let's think about that. Yeah. So does that mean that any time, you know, does that mean that there are certain like countries, truly, um, where their people are so unfree that 
they can never truly consent to being subjects of media attention. I would, is that the is that the like what what is <laughs> what is she saying? Um, I I it's it's almost like what she's saying is these guys are too naive to consent. <laughs> but it's not. I mean, that's not her place, right? I mean, that's no. not her call to I make. I mean, it's a little um, bit racist. It's condescending. It's infantilizing. It's not. That's that. It, that I actually get. I'm I'm mad at that. That's <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm mad at this white lady. Okay. Um, uh, here's her third point. I did not carefully <laughs> enough vet the tone and the language used to represent the four protagonists, leaving the impression that even though they had never been charged with or tried for any crime, and that was made abundantly clear repeatedly throughout the film, that these guys had done long, long, long periods under horrific conditions in Guantanamo uh, after not even being charged with a crime. Okay, so she says it left the impression that even though they had not been charged with or tried for any crime, the presumption of their guilt was never in question. The presumption of their guilt was never in question. And that has left the horrific human rights violation and stain on our national honor that is Guantanamo unchallenged. Mm. Having seen this film, that is the opposite of what is depicted in it. The absolute opposite. So I don't know if this is a case of an executive producer not having seen the film. (laughs) Maybe she's got a busy schedule. Yeah. So, and what has happened? This, so Barry Weiss, <laughs> there's another. Wait, uh, she, Abigail Disney did not, uh, she did not include in this note. And uh, I should have anticipated that at a certain point, this film would be screened as part of a fair event that no other than Barry Weiss would be involved in. So that oh, would have been no. part of it. So, yeah. So Barry, Barry uh, did a QA with Meg, the filmmaker. Uh, and, you know, all of this was was discussed. You know, it, it was it was very clear that this woman's career has been ruined. This is a cancellation of the sword that has real consequences. This person made um, a, a very very high quality piece of art. She did so, you know, after years and years of scraping by. This is not somebody who had independent money going into it. This is somebody who did not have a lot of resources. This is like a classic example of a passion project that took a tremendous amount of effort to to come to fruition. And she, you know, she she the, the dream came true. She ended up in Sundance, which is a huge accomplishment. And it was in South by Southwest, uh, or it was accepted into South by Southwest. But after the Sundance controversy arose, South by canceled the film. I believe any other festivals it was in did the, did the same. There's one festival in New Zealand that did screen it, um, and they got a ton of pushback. But to their credit, they uh, stood their ground. So yeah, she doesn't. She now all the all the funders have gone away. Any potential uh, distribution has gone away. Um, her her filmmaking jobs, such as they were, have disappeared. She said, frankly, that she can't pay her rent anymore. Um, she's been living in the Bay Area most of her life, except when she was living in the Middle East, and she doesn't know what she's going to do now. It's, it's horrible. Uh, it's it's d- profoundly depressing. 
And it, what it's doing, whether whether or not this is the intention, um, the effect will be that anyone who can't take who can't afford to take a big risk um, in such a toxic kind of high stakes environment uh, just won't. Um, and you'll have art and films and um, these sorts of projects um, formed entirely by people who are already, you know, well to do um, because they can take. Right. Because they can take this risk. They can be canceled and they can live to tell the tale. It's sort of the thing we talk about all the time in terms of like, uh, you know, does cancel culture exist or not? There's always this response that, well, you know, J.K. Rowling said this. Yeah, and look at her. Know, she's super rich. And we're talking yeah. about Dave Chappelle this week. Oh, so what yeah. if this one yeah. theater canceled his show? That's not going to hurt him. Well, you're right. right. It's not going to hurt him. But what does <clears> this represent? Right. It, it means that only really only he can get away with it. That's what it people means. People with power can get away with it. People with power and resources can get away with it. Yeah. yeah. Which is seems I, to, the opposite of the social justice project that this purports to be. Mm-hmm. Sundance is not the place where actually like like actual contentious but it used to be this is what's so heartbreaking like for me i know like but you know when i was in my 20s and i i was i was very into independent film like i worked at the film society of lincoln center and i was like very involved in the you know the new york film festival and all this and that was where all the interesting ideas were happening and stuff that was controversial and stuff that the the normies couldn't handle like if you were a thinking person and you were curious and you were you were a liberal and you were kind of intellectual like this is where you lived this is where Mm. your mind lived and it was the other people who were incurious and now it's just flipped around yeah yeah and then there's a denial of that flip as well which i I find very interesting yeah Um, yeah yeah, it's um if you are you know a if you are a a white person, um, white woman, whatever, you have to, you know, accord yourself with the with the understanding constantly that you are a white woman or a white man. Um, and you're, you know, touching on these issues that affect other, you know, marginalized people or whatever is just, I mean, you're going to get in trouble no matter what. You can do everything right and you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. So maybe, so maybe, the, I mean, so if don't, I was... So don't bother. But see, that's so liberating. Don't just know that you're not going to win. You're certainly not right. going to please so there's, everybody. There's two ways to go about it. You can just, I'm never going to touch it. I'm, right. you know, anything that has to do with, with uh, people of color, I'm just going to um, say the thing that I'm supposed to say that I feel uh, uh, is required for me to say and do nothing else. Um, or I'm just going to understand that I'm always going to be on the margins of acceptable society um, and just embrace it. And I, I, I think, I got to a point where I decided to just embrace it. Yeah. You know, I just thought that, okay, you know what? I'm never going to, I'm never going to be, um, you know, covered by certain news sources with my work, you know, and, and people who are doing a lot less interesting work than me are going to get a ton of coverage and I'm just never going to get, you know, a a lick of, of interest. Um, And that's, and that's okay. You know, and, and many of them are going to think of me as a person they don't want to work with because my name is, has been tarred and that's just okay. And that's a price that I'm going to pay for, uh, doing the work that I think is really important yeah. and is worth doing, you know? And at some point you just have to step out of it. And as as individuals who want to increase this, you know, this freedom of other writers, I think new um, platforms like Substack and, you know, I mean, Substack to a degree, uh, but just 
what we're doing here, like podcasting. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is an attempt to just break away from uh from oh yeah no this is this independent media the new independent media right like not independent in the sundance no, festival no, way but, but like actually truly independent truly <laughs> self yeah and i this is what i've been saying for the last many years now this is this is where the good stuff is yeah yeah and there's there's because there's free, freedom you know um and th- there's obviously the harms there too like and there there's um uh you can get the audience capture is a real thing yeah. And um, I think it has befallen. I'm hoping that way we too can many. be captured by our audience, by the way. We, That's my goal. <laughs> How about we we just we 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 protect ourselves against audience capture by um, by preliminary. We just hate our audience all the time. Oh, yeah. We 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 neg them constantly. Oh, but that's going to like turn them on. Oh, oh OK. Hmm. So we know we know who these people are. <laughs> I, I want to get to the point, yeah, where we have like our own sort of medical. We have like like our own kind of um, you know medicines that we promote and vitamins and kind of like healing. You know, we, we're going to tell people what kind of vaccines to get and not get, and how to how to feed their children. I'm totally down for that. I'm yeah. totally down for that. I would, um, if any sponsors want to reach out to us, yeah, um, the kookier the better. Uh, that that goes without saying. Um, or or porn maybe maybe we could have like some some uh porn uh related sponsors mm-hmm. since we mm-hmm. had such a long conversation about that i i would actually like to touch on um some of the responses that we got to the to the porn conversation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. last week yeah. because i thought they were illuminating mm-hmm. yeah um there was one like kind of a long comment um shall i shall i read it by yeah. by this um uh this this dude who who says it's his name is just Burke on um this on, on the Substack, Substack page on the Substack page, um, and again if you are a paying subscriber you can participate in these. But um, also if you're not a paying subscriber you can wait. But if they're not paying subscribers they can comment on the free page too, right? No, I don't think so. Oh, I they think can? we limited comments to just subscribers, so oh, only because, subscribers can. Yeah. Oh, because some people so. are commenting on the page that has the bonus content. So yeah, but like no two matter what. Threads. Yeah, there's two comment threads, but I think they're only accessible to to subscribe. Oh, I mean, we okay, can change. Good. We can change that if we no, want. No, no, but then no, we're gonna good, get. Good, yeah. good, good. Okay. Good. Okay. Okay. Great. All right. <laughs> um, so uh, th- th- this this man he 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 gives his personal experience um, of of porn usage. I thought that was very this was interesting. He says, "I started when I was maybe thirteen or so. Now in my mid thirties, almost every day, sometimes multiple times a day." Uh, he uses porn. He didn't say that, but this is what he's talking about. Um, the impact on my sex life has been very negative, but not as bad as some nightmare scenarios. Um, some of the bad aspects of of his porn use is that he finds eighty to ninety percent of women physically unattractive. Um, he said that is, I would not have sex with them if it was handed to me. In fact, there have been several situations like this where I turned them down. Wow. There have been other situations where I kind of suffered through it. <laughs> um, is that rape? Wait, is, is that, that the, is yeah? Because, I think it I mean, is. Did, um, that sounds Burke, like buddy, he didn't you've consent. Been, yeah, I, I don't know. A, this guy is a is a, a sexual assault survivor. I yeah, we're with you. We're with you, pal. Okay. Um, my, and he says that his porn use has desensitized his penis, and in, during normal sex, he feels almost nothing. This is why you should subscribe to our um, Substack. By the way, <laughs> this, these are our comments. If you want to talk about how you've been, you're, they're great. I love this comment. I, this was this was just this was. I want this level yes, of detail more of this, actually. Please. So I'm glad I got it. Um, 
He says that he can still get an erection orgasm during sex, but only under certain circumstances, Um, Uh which is so, I mean, that whole thing is, I mean, that's the bad. Then he has some, the good also, and the good includes, because he has, he finds most women extremely unattractive in order to be attractive to the women he finds attractive, he has to be like super fit. And he's like, he thinks he's, he's just like, I'm extremely fit, easily in the top 1%. So that's, you know, Uh uh, that's good. Physical fitness is important. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, uh, and uh, it just, to me, this is, this is really, this is messed up. And yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah. mean, and this would, and this is, this seems like a, you know, an otherwise well-adjusted dude, you know, easily top 1% in terms of physical okay, fitness. Okay, in physical <laughs> fitness, but like, uh, what we don't know, uh, you know, as, as the men would say, is, is he a butterface, right? Oh, hmm. Burke, you gotta respond, Are you, are you a butt's face? Can we do? <laughs> we're this close to being like pose picture. <laughs> Let us. <laughs> um, but yeah, but this is sort of you know, and I've I've heard similar stories, and that's why I've been kind of porn ambivalent for some time because a lot of young men that I know that are sort of twenties, thirties, uh, they have a similar relationship to porn in that it's it's really affected the way that they interact. I mean, and so there's the the feminist, um, you know, common you know topic is uh, of discussion regarding porn is like the violence, um, yeah. and how it's increasing expectations of violence um, in sex. And I think that that's a very real thing. But there's just a broader there's just a broader desensitization that's going on that's making, um, you know, the the, the drive. I mean, if we're going to li- if we're going to just pin down the one drive that like moves human society forward, <laughs> it's you know male desire to have sex with you know as many and as as beautiful women mm-hmm. as possible, right? Mm-hmm. And if we if if there's a a just some broad phenomena that's doing something to dampen this desire, um, you know, I wonder what. You know, and I wonder what we're going to see because of it, and and we're never going to really be able to properly measure it because it is uh, so common. And in fact, like totally, just it, I mean, gonna, porn use is entirely yeah, right. it, it's ubiquitous. So, so. it's going to wipe out the population. That's what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> well, no, I actually think this is interesting. But only do you think only among sort of Western media consumers? Because no, I'm actually, no, no, it's anyone. It's so everyone. like even like um, like guys i mean because i'm actually thinking about the guys in this jihad rehab film everyone has an act everyone has a smartphone everyone well, has a smartphone didn't... everyone has access okay. to porn okay but these guys didn't i mean well I mean, there was a hilarious moment in the film in where jail they're, they they're going they're in the rehab program and one of the things they learn is like how to interact with women and how to find a wife and mm. um you know they they're teaching they're learning like freudian psychology like they have this professor who's you know, seems like a you know relatively enlightened guy. Although at the end, you see that he's been muzzled by the by the system. But there's a moment where they're talking about how to find a wife and what to look for in a woman. And some of these guys are well into their 30s and 40s because they were detained for so long. And one of them says, "Well, you have to find a much younger wife." especially if you're starting to get up there in years because you want somebody to be able to take care of you when you're old. So if you no. find if you find somebody your own age, well this is great. If you find somebody your own age, then you're just going to end up having to get a uh, a second wife down the road to take care of both of you. 
<laughs> like I, that's actually not a bad. It's like wow, and we're both get honey. We're both getting up here in age. Maybe you should find a second wife who's like Sister a nurse. wife. Yeah, who's yeah. Like a, I, like a I hospice it was so, worker. Traditionally, isn't isn't this like the place of children? Like you're supposed to have kids. And well, then... that's what I'm saying. So like we don't have a population problem in the developing world. So does that yeah. suggest that in the developing world they're not looking at porn and having these dysfunctions? No, I think they are looking at porn, but I think they're they're it's it's I can't speak to it exactly what's happening there. It's probably very different, and I think it do, it, it does depend on how heavy the filters are um, uh, in in a particular country. But right. I know I remember seeing like um, who watches porn, like those sort of um, statistics on which countries has the most heaviest heaviest porn usage um and it's <laughs> there's i mean it's a global thing is all i can say um okay yeah. I, there was a comment i can't remember if it was in the substack comments or if somebody tweeted this that the real change in pornography happened around 1980 or so when for instance the images in playboy would go from being like girl next door kind of nudity to the porn star look Mm -hmm. There was a notable aesthetic shift. And mm. it goes back to what I was saying last week when, you know, you were asking me when I had first been exposed to porn and I talked about seeing like Playboy magazines at my friends' houses, like they would find where their dad had kept them or something like that. And at that time, the, there were nude women, but they were normal. Like mm -hmm. they had pubic hair. Yeah. You know, they were not surgically enhanced. You were looking you were you were looking at nude women. Mm -hmm. And that is different than what we're seeing now. And I think that that's a really important distinction. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that but it's it's going to go in that direction no matter what because that's it it only proceeds in one in one direction right. and that is to become more and more uh like it it, it must uh, you know, by by the 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 rules of of the economy that they that they participate in, they have to become more extreme in one form or the other. They're not going to. There's no other. <laughs> we're not going to go back and go back to more normal looking um, women anytime soon. Although there are like some some men. Who yeah, and I'm, I would be really curious what this guy, how he would define like an attractive woman that he would be attracted to because what he's saying it's I believe it and I feel like I'm hearing more and more of it but I've also just for so many years known and heard from so many men who say like yeah like I'll anything that moves like <laughs> like yeah really it's not and you know and part of the manosphere rhetoric is that even the ugliest woman can get laid so yeah that so there's a an imbalance there so mm -hmm. this is kind of saying two different things. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. I think I think they actually the two different things are happening, but to different degrees. And we there's no way to measure um, exactly who is being like extremely affected by what. But I, I think this guy, um, I mean, the, the phenomena that he's describing, just that we're we're constantly seeing these people with these unattainable beauty standards. Um, I mean, young girls are going through the same problem, yeah. um, and that's you know through through Instagram these these um, peers that they get to compare themselves to who've been through who've gone through all these filters and all this. Do you use filters like photo oh, filters? I don't do you know, know how. Do you even know how to? Okay, yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> And I actually was shocked because somebody was saying that, um, like, you can that that they knew people who just walked. Around, I mean, this is obvious that they just walk around all the time. It's not even like a post production thing. Like, the, like the filter is always on your phone. So anytime you would take a selfie, it would automatically. Really? 
yeah, I yeah, should know this. Make your yeah, appearance. Yeah. I do use it on the Zoom improve your appearance. Like you can check a box and there is oh, some yeah, yeah, filter. Yeah. And I do notice that I look better on Zoom than I look if I do like a QuickTime movie of myself or something, which is not something I do regularly. Yeah, I think <laughs> FaceTime does that like automatically as well, okay. because I definitely sometimes I'm, I'm FaceTiming somebody and notice I look better than I do if I just oh. look in the mirror right next, you know, so there might be something checked there too. That's like automatically checked, but I definitely look nicer and feel FaceTime. Like, but do you know like how to use filter? Out, like you know? if you were going to take a picture of you or your family or just a, the, a picture that you were in, would you then go and, and doctor it up later? I, so I've never, <laughs> I don't take a lot of pictures. I don't have a lot of pictures. I have like five pictures of myself. Um, but it, it I, I was into like, uh, like f- photography, I guess, more generally, like when I was, um, younger and so so I knew like Photoshop and I could do Photoshop but it wasn't really for like these personal selfie mm-hmm. purposes um, and that's how I knew that you can edit photos but I've never um, used these Instagram I, I, I haven't been on Instagram so I don't even know if yeah, it's I'm like not an automatic thing or I, a built thing I in. hate Instagram I don't get Instagram what is it I just I just feel like, like I'm be- being just sold things. Yeah, and but why why am I why do I care that you had lunch and here's a picture of like your wine glass and like a beautiful and meal? People I don't say like see Instagram it. is the nice social media. It's the nice one. Like I think it, it's it's it might be the nicest one, but it's the one that fucks with your head. Exactly. You know, in the most uh, like severe way. I like way. Twitter because it's just it admits to how it's insane. It, is. it says it's insane yeah. and and you're insane for being on there. And and yeah, I, I think that there's an honesty there. That yeah, is Twitter is like the equivalent of, of living in New York City. <laughs> like, it sucks and it's hard. Yeah, Instagram is like the deep south where they're calling you sugar. And <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> that, that's um, a very good analogy. Yeah, so yeah. The, so and I guess we're still going to be we got a lot of suggestions uh, for for people for men in particular to come on and talk about their porn use. So uh, we're still working on that, we should say. Yeah, I mean, and there's a lot there are a lot of options. So we're, 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 we're sifting through it. And thank you so much for for sending your um, personal experiences. I found them very, it's just, it's very, very interesting. And people are so honest. Um, it's really nice uh, to. Yeah. I yeah, appreciate to, that. Yeah. Yes. It doesn't it feels like there's no agenda. It's like here's my experience. Um I like that. Yeah. I like yes. that. Yeah. I really I appreciate people's candor. So hopefully we'll see more of that. All right. So what's next on our agenda? Consent. Yes means yes. Okay. No so means no. I'm consenting. Yes. Yes, go ahead. I don't know what what I'm consenting okay. to in this discussion. <laughs> so um, there are uh, there, there was a one uh, piece, an op ed um, piece um, on the New York Times, in the New York Times um, on July nineteenth um, by Emma Camp, and she is um, if if you guys, I, I assume some of the some some of the people listening um, remember the controversy around Emma Camp a little while ago. She was she she wrote another piece about how she um, was a, when she was a student in college. She she felt that there was uh, not an open atmosphere for speech. Yeah, she was is a student right? at UVA, and she yeah. was talking about how she felt stifled as a moderate or just mm-hmm. kind of overall critical thinker so she she 
published another piece I thought was really interesting. Um, it's called When We Consent, We Shouldn't Feel Terrible After, right? And um, the piece is about uh, you know, her experience as a young woman in, in college and talking to other young women about um, consent norms and their dissatisfaction with consent as um, with con- w- consent as a standard, but also like consent education and what it fails to teach them or or um, w- what it what it teaches them incorrectly. Um, so she she says. Um, <clears throat> Uh, with instruction focused primarily on verbal yeses and nos, young people are stuck with a woefully limited legal understanding of what sex is and ought to be instead of gaining the broader ability to articulate our sexual desires in emotionally messy situations. We need a culture that does a better job of encouraging us to go beyond merely legal sex and to prioritize emotionally satisfying sex, too. So I thought this was... Um, this was pretty interesting. And, th- and then she talks about, um, you know, how many colleges, there's like 1400 colleges that have adopted definitions of consent. Yes. Yes means yes. Um, consent definitions was basically said that unless there's an affirmative mm-hmm. yes during sexual intercourse, that it it, it is during um, sexual activity, d- during just, sexual activity all yeah. the way through. Yeah. Yeah, there, that 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 has to be the standard that colleges are setting um, for students as, as this is good behavior. Um and, and she talked about, uh, when my friends and I talk about our loves lives, we tend to share the same kinds of stories, almost ritualistically. Um, uh, let me see. Between tales of bad bumble dates, dance, dance floor makeouts, and Olivia Rodrigo-worthy breakups, almost all of us have had the same experience, a time we were asked explicitly for consent, and we wanted to say no, where we could have said no, and just didn't. The primary fear... (laughs) What is the point of any of this, then? Uh, Yeah, Yeah. right. The primary fear articulated by my friends in these situations is impoliteness. They often feel that enduring the awkwardness of turning someone down is ultimately worse than having unwanted sex. Yeah. Yes. That's a a real phenomenon. But it happened even before we were having these affirmative consent decrees. So... I like I, maybe this is just the natural order of things that women don't want to hurt people's feelings. So, so that's I, or have an I, awkward so situation. I went and I read a bunch of articles about consent, mostly on the New York Times. I just like searched consent and then I just went and read a bunch of them. And there's so many of they they they're like now this is the contrarian position to be like oh hmm, is this enough? Uh, is is yes means yes enough? We need other rules like, about like, about sex. Oh, and what would those be? Like well, a like a form you fill out. Seriously, I, they have apps, right? They have consent apps. I used to joke about this actually. My we, a friend of mine, we said we were going to invent this, and it's like, oh no, actually, it already exists. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that there's there's actually no winning with the consent rules. Like, there's no they're 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 setting up a standard that will that will never be met by normal human interaction ever. Um, you know, like we're not. I think this is the first time we are seeking uh, we're seeking something that no one ever thought to ask, you know, which is just that am I is every interaction that I have like I mean if you think of just sex, take a take out the as- the sexual aspect. I mean, think about any social situation. Yeah. are you always 
consenting and every your friend says oh let's go outside let's have a you know right. let's uh, yeah, let's chat outside instead and you're, are you like hmm did i like <laughs> i just went I'm along 100%, with percent yeah, yeah yeah i just went i mean so many things you just go along with right that's that's a normal that's normal social interactions but you don't you don't stop and think and 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 parse your interactions later as consensual or not consensual you don't think in those terms when it comes to normal social interaction and perhaps that's healthier um, yeah. But, you know, and I, of course, of course, of course, of course, you know, let me throw it clear a little bit. <clears throat> actually, no, don't. Actually throw it don't. clear because. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> also, I'm sick, so let me throw it. I just want to say I'm coming at this from a perspective of a liberal. I'm, I'm, I'm on the left and I'm, I'm saying that. I'm on the, I'm, I support women and I believe women and I, you know, I'll, okay, I'm anti-rape, right? Let me just, let me say that. I don't, I don't think people should have unwanted sex. It's just that. Um, this, this idea of like, of, of sex being somehow different than, you know, and something that we, that we can just take out of regular social interactions and, and, uh, you know, seal it off somehow. And, and now in this, in this scenario, we're going to be able to clearly legislate what can happen, you know, what yeah. makes somebody feel good, what doesn't, you know, in real time somehow, you know, and, and in, in this scenario alone, we should feel good about it 100% of time, not just in that present moment, but also a day right. from, for, from then, for, five for years. For all eternity. Yeah, yeah for Wait, all eternity. Well, when did it start to be, when did people get the idea that this was even possible? Is it because mm, I see right. my sort of banal theory about this for a while was that these generations are so accustomed to doing their socializing on screens that when they get into a real life situation, they just don't have the skills to negotiate the, just this, the the teeny little nuances and unspoken kind of rituals of dealing with somebody one-on-one. But I think that's like pretty basic. I think it, it's a lot more complicated than that. I think there's something to that. And I, I think we talked about this in our early discussions. Maybe I can't now I don't I can't separate what we talk about on the podcast. I know. Are you having that problem, too? Yeah. I feel like so, I, I talked to friends and I'm like, did I say that to you? Or yeah. did I say that? on the? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think we did talk about that. But I, and, that, and, and that's definite. There's something there's something to that, that, you know, online interactions are very much there's there's that lag that doesn't exist in in real life where you can you can stop you can you can leave that situation you can think about what you want um and because it's not happening in real time and that gives you this freedom because <laughs> it's not to, actually happening it's not even actually happening it's all fake but it, <laughs> but you know it it, it th- there's a level of control over your social environment online that you just you can't get offline and maybe people are having trouble adjusting to that reality but i think there's a there's also a broader you know conception of of sex as something that uh if it doesn't feel a hundred percent good and you're like a hundred percent enthusiastic the whole way it's bad somehow like it's, it's now right. it's rapey you know like now you've if you've had unenthusiastic yeah. sex with your husband you're you've been at, actually you've been raped you know like and and it's just we got a lot of raped people out there <laughs> right but this is but this is weird. This itself is a yeah. strange way to think about uh, a normal social thing. You know, um, you're not going to feel a hundred percent great about every sexual encounter five years from now, ten well, years and, from now after and, having it. Yeah, and all, here's the thing too: most sex when that you have with somebody in the beginning, especially the first time, isn't that great? Mm-hmm. Like the way, like I can't. 
the way then, that you, then you're raping each other. The, the, Megan. That's every, <laughs> every first ta- every first encounter is a rape. No, yeah. because like you have to get used to the person. I think this is maybe a, a, an effect of, of hookup culture is because people are thinking about sex at encounters as isolated I- events that exist separately from relationships often, mm-hmm. not always, mm-hmm. but often. And mm-hmm. so they really don't even give themselves the chance to develop a rapport with the person that would allow for more satisfying sexual experiences. I mean, you have to get used to the person. You have to figure it out, mm-hmm. right? And until you do so, it's not going to be as good as it hopefully will be later. So I think this con- this very basic concept seems to be lost on a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I and I don't know how to. I think that there's like then, then there's this um, overcorrection to try and gain some to 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 try and parse their lack of satisfaction and looking back on these sexual encounters and thinking, okay, I'm I'm really unsatisfied with what happened. This wasn't what I imagined it to be. Um, I followed all the rules. I mean, what Emma Camp says, which is you know we everybody consented. I followed all the rules and the sex wasn't that great. How's that possible? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I felt emotionally devoid or whatever well, I felt yeah, used. If you, you know? don't know and the like person, maybe... you're going to feel emotionally devoid. I, well, how yeah, can you I mean, not? I think, but it's, you know, this is just a conversation that's difficult to have if you're also in this very, in this culture that defines sexual positivity yeah. as as something that's just like, all sex is great so long as people consent to it. You know, so long right. as there's two adults who are saying yes and yes and yes, um, then to, to then look at that encounter and think maybe there's something morally strange going on here or, or maybe it isn't healthy that yeah. that's kink shaming or or Ugh. or you know being right 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 yeah right like being somehow being like too conservative and, or whatever yeah. in your approach and i don't think it's just women here's another thing that i don't think gets discussed enough is that men often have sex that they don't want to have because they don't want the girl to think that he's gay or something like they don't want to it's there's it's emasculating to refuse sex perhaps other than our friend who's not attracted to most women and has refused a lot of sex i guess but no but no he said he said sometimes he had sex that he was not enthusiastic yeah Yeah, so he's been he's been raped many times i think that a lot of i've actually had conversations i wrote about this in my book actually i think that um i i know of several men who have gone ahead and had sexual encounters that that where the woman was in some cases very aggressive and he feels like he has to go through with it because on some level this is a fantasy this wow wow she's totally coming on to me she just like showed up out of nowhere and okay like i guess i have to go through with this but Mm -hmm. then they feel kind of lousy about it afterward but there's not a vocabulary i think they don't write op-eds about it can you imagine if they did but i think that (laughs) i but i there's not a there's not any kind of language to talk about that particular experience and i think even to say you know they're not necessarily going to say i was violated but just to say like oh i feel kind of icky about that i think that's really hard for men to say so there's this idea that 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 experience is is abnormal or unhealthy in some way but it it isn't it's just normal it's normal to have sexual encounters that you're like eh, you know eh, that was gross maybe you know like that 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 is that is a very normal thing and we have to normalize that like normalize mediocre we used to normalize it weird yeah and 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 it used so so, they call that race see then they call that normalizing 
and I, I get it, right? So I think that there's there's an overcorrection here that's happened. That's it's actually way, way, way over overcorrection that it's it's causing a lot of problems, um, and it isn't really solving the the initial one. So it's not the case that you know if another Harvey Weinstein like comes up, he can still. Yes, he can do still do the yes, yes, yeah, yes. We're not talking about still, Harvey Weinstein. Yes, course, but, but but do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, like he can st- he can follow all the consent rules and still coerce people into sex. So it's not because it, he it, has a tremendous amount of power. Because then you're getting into like, are somebody working for somebody? Yeah, there's a lot of dimensions here. Th- there's a lot, but there's too many dimensions. Right. You know, and it's almost it's almost as if having just a broad rule about this is healthy and this is unhealthy is a stupid track to go down anyway because. This is something where a thousand invisible forces are coming together in that one moment for an individual that can make something feel coercive or actually be coercive. And and and, and these attempts to legislate all these encounters and have like checkboxes are, are and attempts at making invisible things legible, you know, so that now we can we can enforce rules around them. Um, and I, I that's very well <clears throat> said. A thousand oh, thank invisible you. forces are coming together. <laughs> and that can be a um, good thing too. But like a thousand invisible forces is also can what make sex good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and good when you, it's not technically supposed to be good, right? Like, I mean, how many times do you have sex where, I mean, and I, we were talking about this right before we, we, we hit play, but I don't know if I've ever said like an affirmative yes before any sexual encounter ever <laughs> in my life. I, I would not. I, I would have. not want to have sex with somebody who asked me for that. Consent. Oh my god! <laughs> right? If somebody was like, if somebody was like, kind can of a I? Deal breaker. Can I now? I mean, I just would. I just get out. Like, don't. I don't, I don't I even don't. think I would get as far as being alone in a room with that kind of person. That's true. How yeah. would that even? Um, I, yeah, you're just because and that's because you're of your age. That's you know, true. if you were, if that's you true. were like you a I little would younger, never hook up with a thirty year old. Yeah, that's what that is. What you're saying. Um, but uh, I feel bad for men in this scenario because how do you win? Because a lot of women don't really. They, they want you to know what they're feeling without telling you what they're feeling, and mm-hmm. I think that that's a difficult. Yeah, women have always wanted people to read their minds, men yeah. and other women. Taylor's all his time, right? But now, but the difference now is that if you don't, if you fail at reading her mind, um, you know, even even if you're like the, like, of course, there are a lot of guys who don't even attempt. You know, they 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 really want sex, and so they really are trying to be very manipulative to get what they want. Um, but let's put, put aside that that exists and that's bad. But um, presuming you're a good guy, you're doing everything right. Um, and even then you can just misread something you Mm -hmm. misread something and then you end up in a position where now you have technically coerced somebody into a situation she didn't want to be in. And, uh, you know, so can there be a little bit of forgiveness and that forgiveness has to happen on both ends in the sense that people just have to stop making a big deal about that bad encounter. Well, and they have to start taking a responsibility for the messages that they sent for the fact that they didn't say no, you know, and so, so this Emma, Emma camp article where they're, they're saying we all said yes. And everybody said yes. And then we were, felt awkward it's felt awkward to say no and so we didn't so this is the kind of behavior which i i I don't i don't want to merely make fun of her because i i i i like this article and she seems like a um um, a very interesting and intelligent young woman i'm glad she brought this up and was honest about this um because it it really actually is a very real phenomena of young women having finding it so difficult to say no so impossible to breach that 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 
social awkwardness or whatever it is um, to, to, to just say what they want, that they, you know, n- now they have a sexual encounter that they didn't, um, that they wouldn't have had. Um, had that had that person not put them in that position. So these this is why in traditional societies all over the world, there are all these rules about when and where men and women can meet. And those rules exist because there's a general understanding. And this understanding was seen as very sexist. And I think it is sexist to a degree that that women can't say no or, you know, m- that one, men can overpower women physically, but also emotionally women are just going to like fall into something stupid. Um, so you don't, you know, you don't allow, you know, the, the, the world that I come from, right. That it's extremely gender segregated and it presumes this kind of behavior, um, like force on, it presumes force, um, um, from men and it presumes like, uh, stupid sort of like oh sure whatever well, <laughs> like from women childishness Chi- right naivete some something that, that you know from from women um and they they take that for granted they're like this is how men are and this is our how women are and because we cannot uh be a police we cannot have like a police off sexual police officer in every room um you know blowing the whistle when someone makes them a move that's inappropriate we just cannot let them be alone right you know, and that's the that's sort of the the logical conclusion to 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 this this sort of experience that she's articulating, which is just that even with all the even with the yes, even when somebody asks verbally, you know, it was awkward. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to. I didn't want to spoil the mood. I didn't want to be that girl. Well, what do you do then? Now what? Like, how can I make you happy? <laughs> like, yeah. how can I, I? I mean, there's no. We're left with no. Well, yeah, this is the example no of the, hor- the horseshoe theory, right? You've got the two extremes come around and meet each other. So, you know, I, th- I think that the, the way forward, if there's going to be a way, is to one, acknowledge that it's not just it's not just the case that women are socially programmed to say uh, to, to, to just say yes when they when they mean no. It's that they're, we're biologically like more inclined to say Yes, when we mean no, um, and then there needs to be a social correction to the problem by 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 perhaps teaching women explicitly how to get comfortable with making people uncomfortable. See, and but they claim to be doing that. This is uh, they. I mean, the, the, every meme in the world is about not coddling men and uh, clearly that's you know, not enough. Drinking right? their tears. I yeah I. Those are just words until, you know, you get to it. So, so there was another piece that in my, in my um, f- you know, fury of just reading a bunch of pieces on consent um, in New York Times, I found this other piece <clears throat> by Melissa Fabos. Melissa Fibos. Fibos. Yeah, yeah I, I never know. How. Melissa Fibos. Um, this was in March uh, 31st of last year. Um, she said, I, I, sp- I spent my life consenting to touch I didn't want. That's the, that's the title. Um, and the piece is really interesting. She's I a mean, beautiful kind writer. Of, yeah, yeah she's, she's, a, she's a wonderful writer. But it's also kind of enraging if you have the perspective that I have because she's, it, it, it sort of, um, it's frustrating to consist- consistently be told, okay, this is not enough, but also there's no answers. <laughs> there's no yeah. like, how do I make you feel better? How do I make you feel comfortable um, in this situation? She describes like um, a time that she goes to... Um, cuddle party <laughs> oh a cuddle party i know like, i mean people we've been talking about cuddle parties for like <laughs> decades now i remember the first time i heard about it i just thought that i can't you, you could not really um 
like engineer a, a more unpleasant situation for me. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. Like, well, why I, does anyone I, say yes to this? Is well, my question. I mean, there's the idea that you need touch, and I I think. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This is, I feel like this is one of these things that is like, that's sort of rigged up. This is a, this is a, a, a solution we didn't need for a problem that never really existed. Yeah, there's some, there's something very bizarre, going, but I don't know. I don't, I would never go to something. She like might've been doing some research. I mean, we should say, I mean, Melissa Fibos, she's, she's a memoirist. She's a personal essayist. She, she's she, really, really um, gifted writer. Her first book was about being a dominatrix called mm. whip smart so she's she is has been a sex worker she kind of works and writes in the in the queer space uh, as it were so she her her life her lived experience is different than ours sarah mm. i think it's mm-hmm. fair to say okay okay um so she goes to this cuddle party she describes going to this cuddle party and um there's all these rules about you know you, you have to have your pajamas your, i don't know why you're in pajamas but you're in pajamas <laughs> Are you in footy and, pajamas because well yeah. the guy one guy she was interacting with i think was in footy pajamas <laughs> um, so you're on um your pajamas stay on the whole time you don't have to cuddle anyone you must ask permission receive verbal yes before you touch anyone you know um like these are these are the rules. If you're a yes, say yes. If you're a no, say no. If you're a maybe, say no. And you're encouraged to change your mind. So these rules are like perfectly set up for in, in, the, in this consent framework. Um, and theoretically, you should feel comfortable saying no. Uh, but she describes um, so she describes an, an exercise that the host um, enc- uh, encourages everyone to participate in to get to 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 get to get the feel of what's about to happen, I guess. Um, and and he says he basically asks um, them to turn to a nearby person and perform a role play where one person asks, do you want to cuddle? And the other person will ask answer no. And the first would respond. Is this like a corporate retreat? Is this like (laughs) HR? Like we're going to take everybody out for the weekend and we're going to do some leadership exercises. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically the role play is getting you comfortable with saying no. Right. And it's sort of doing what I just, I just, I guess suggested we should do, which is we should teach people to feel comfortable with this. But so she describes, you know, the guy asks, do you want to cuddle? She says, no. Um, and so she's supposed to say no. It's part of the role play. Like, you know, and yet, right. you know, she says, um, my mouth involuntarily stretched into a smile as I, as if I needed to soften the refusal. My face grew hot and I felt myself blinking quickly. Was it really so hard for me to give an anticipated no? I felt uneasy, surprised by the strength of my reaction to the exercise. And then they just, they have more exercises like this where, you know, people say, can I kiss you? Blah blah blah. And, and she has trouble saying no. She talks about her voice croaking and and you know flushing and all this stuff and uh, hold uh, holding this apologetic tone because it's hard to say no to something just flat out. <laughs> like if somebody if you go to somebody's house, they say, "Can I offer you this food?" and you really don't like it, are you going to say no or are you going to say like, "Oh, I yeah, you know," and it's like it's not like like there's just like sort of you know there's there's a kind of conversational lubricant that should be applied to most interactions unless you're just completely tone deaf. Yeah. So what, what is, what is a social norm that we can put in place that would, you know, prevent that, that would, that would, that would make things perfect, you know, according to her, which is she would feel perfectly free to say no. 
well, don't go to a cuddle party for starters. Don't go to a cuddle. Well, so so this is the this is the cra- this is where <laughs> we end back in the, in the horseshoe theory. For it. <laughs> in the horseshoe theory, you know, model we end yeah. ba- we end up back to where we like, started. Keep your legs like, closed. Keep your never, footy pajamas. Yeah, never talk to a man. <laughs> keep your feet touching each other. Keep but, your feet closed. But, but maybe there's something to just like okay, let's have some you know broad rules that that are you know uh, we're not victim blaming anybody we're just saying that if you don't want to be put into this kind of position you're probably going to be put into this kind of position if you're you know a young attractive woman um like so i i once um went out alone uh i usually i never go out alone um but i I went to meet a group of people at someone's um birthday party or something i don't know what it was um but it I, I normally never do that. I travel with people and I know a lot of people where I go, you know, it's just because um, I'm too much of an introvert to really example of somebody hitting your car and then no, um, no, no, not no, mistaking you. It was just, it? Okay. <laughs> no, it's a shorter story. Okay. It's, it's, it's a sadder story, but it, it's sort of like, I, so I went to this place. I didn't know a lot of people. Um, I knew the host, it was her birthday and I didn't really know anyone else. Um, so I didn't really have a lot of people to talk to. There were not a lot of people to watch out for me. Um, and, you know, just to, to be like, Oh, is she, you know, being some creep following her or whatever. There was nobody really around that could do that. Um, I was dressed in a way, in a, the way that I would normally dress as, you know, a young 20 something, which was, you know, I I wanted to look hot. So I was, I was looking hot, you know? And, um, and at this, at this party, um, several guys were, I'm not going to go into details, but they were just being very aggressive. Um, and it was aggressive in a way that I, I interpreted in a very threatening manner. I ended up just like running away from this, um, uh, from this party and, you know, going to back to my car. And I remember like, I, I, I don't know if I cried, but I like, I was very emotionally, like it was a very scary experience. I felt very, I felt like I was ganged up on kind of, um, and that something scary could have happened, but didn't. Um, and that it was, it was luck kind of, that I just, I, I escaped from something. It is what it felt like. Wow. And I remember, you know, so, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be like, and then I learned all these great lessons because I'm intelligent and these girls are stupid and don't learn these lessons. But, but I did think that, okay, you know what? Um, clearly I couldn't manage this situation. <laughs> like, like, like uh, clearly this was something happened and I, I let it get to a point where I felt almost unsafe um and i didn't know what to do in that scenario except just like literally run away so i'm not going to go to these sorts of parties where i don't know anybody um i'm going to make sure i go with somebody i'm going to make sure that i you know uh if i am especially at a place like this where i don't i don't know a lot of these strange guys i'm going to dress a different way now all of this is going to sound extremely victim blaming i don't blame myself for what happened these are data points no these are these are data points and you are are learning about yourself and what works for you and what doesn't right and limits of what i know that i can handle you know like if i if i know that i'm the kind of woman who has a trouble saying no um or i'm the kind of woman who misinterprets you know uh male behavior until it gets too far um i am that kind of person um but i'm i'm also like friendly and you know smiling and all this stuff and i don't recognize in the moment that you know this one dude is interpreting it in a way that i didn't i didn't anticipate or I, i couldn't have um you know in that moment i didn't understand um, but if I know that about myself, well, now I now I craft different rules of behavior to protect myself. And that's is that, you know, I mean, I, I even feel 
outside of my own, like the women that I know, like I would tell this to females that are related to me and like close friends. I would be like, hey, listen, just don't do this. Like make it a rule to not do this and do this and do this to protect yourself. So you're not put into a situation where, you know, it's not rape, yeah. but it's definitely like something you didn't want. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I would tell this to people, girls I know, I might not write about this because if I write <laughs> about this, I'm victim blaming. Right. You know, like th- then I have a whole host of other problems from people who are who are mad yeah. at me for even articulating that 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 there's something going on here. And maybe there's measures that you can take that are really reasonable and logical. I I actually read a little bit about this in my in my book, the, the problem with everything kind of like imagining, you know, you hear stories <laughs> about consent situations that went really, really wrong. And there's one scene in particular where I sort of put myself in the place of a woman who ended up accusing a guy of something. And I say, like, what is it about my brain makeup or just my experience that would have probably made me react very differently? I I think that you and I, we have a certain kind of, we have certain we, we have certain kind of backgrounds. Like we have an emotional makeup that is different than maybe somebody else's. I think that like, I don't, it sounds like you had a very stable, pretty strict upbringing. You, it doesn't sound like you are somebody who is, is needy of attention, at least in that way. Like you, you seem pretty emotionally healthy in that way. And I think I, I am also like, there's certainly ways in which I'm probably not so emotionally healthy, but I, I'm, I've never been somebody who, um, needs male attention to feel like I have self-worth. But I think mm-hmm. there are a lot of women for whom that's not the case. I think that I think that people have really fucked up childhoods. I think every, I think kids get raised really negligently um, mm. a, a lot of the time. I just think that people they they walk around um, with a great deal of need and unmet and and, and wounds and just, um, a, a level of chaos that maybe they don't even a sort of psychological chaos that they're not even aware of. And then it comes out with sexual situations. And so I, I tend to be really careful about not imposing my own sort of mental health profile onto other people. I'm not mm-hmm. saying people who do that are mentally unwell, obviously, but yeah, I think I, I just, I know so many women who, and men actually who just grew up with a lot of messages and a lot of treatment from their parents and other people that caused them to be a certain way in relationships. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I, but so I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I would tell, I would counsel anybody the same way that you would, but I also well, know that I'm coming from sort of a, my own, I'm imposing yeah, my yeah. own experience on other people. But- but maybe there's just norms that work for the majority of people and then and should be applied. So something yeah. like this cuddle party, this cuddle party situation, despite <laughs> these rules, despite these very explicit rules, I, I, I'm hearing about what it is and who goes. And I'm thinking, mm, like, this is a this is a weird situation. This is a scary. This is a situation that despite these explicit rules is going to test something in me. Um, and what it is, is that, yeah, you're you're you're. Uh, ability to say no or to say yes, despite having a nice person sitting in front of you who just n- needs a hug or whatever, right? Yeah. Um. And and so wh- why put your like? I I feel like there's um, we we intellectualize our you know mental states to 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 some weird degree, and we and we apply um, whatever whatever modern faddish way of understanding you know what healthy sex is to all these 
you know, social encounters that we'll, we'll engineer, like a cut, like a cuddle party or, um, you know, a BDSM session or whatever, that's technically supposed to be okay, according to all these rules that somebody came up with, you know, two decades ago, three decades ago, whatever, but it's technically supposed to be okay. It doesn't feel okay. It doesn't, we don't react to it the, the way we are supposed to react to it. Um, and then, and then we're left confused and we write an op-ed to, to New York Times saying, you know, like, why right. the, why didn't I love this? <laughs> See, writing an op-ed is a, is a measure of my self-worth. See, that, that's how I am emotionally unhealthy. I just get, I just get it all out and writing, <laughs> writing op-eds. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. We'll, we'll talk about consent again. I think there's, um. I have a lot to say on it, on the issue. And Maybe I hope people write it. Yeah. Things, and I hope but, actually yeah. that's a good thing for people to share about in the comments too. If people have thoughts mm-hmm. about this. So, um, wow. Well, we've been, we've been going for a while. We've been going longer than we said. Should we, um, should we, we wrap, should wrap it up, it up and I have think. a teeny, teeny bit of bonus content for, yeah, um, we'll have a little diehards. bit of bonus content. Um, cause we love you guys so much. I'm, if you can, you can hear it in my voice probably. I'm like, I'm, uh, at death store right now, I but, know, but, but the, ur- the I'm, urgency I'm... <laughs> of white supremacy uh, is keeping you going. It's keeping, yeah. keeping you on. Um, um, yeah. So we should, uh, we should remind people to do a couple of things um, before we sign out here. Oh, well, first of all, I just want to say <laughs> I'm teaching an opinion writing class on zoom. Uh, I very conveniently managed to give the wrong dates uh, the, the first time. And then last week I forgot to mention it altogether, but it is, happening it's a four-week class it's four consecutive mondays um it's starting april i'm sorry (laughs) starting august 8th and it's gonna run through august 29th it is from 3 to 5 p.m eastern time on zoom and um the idea is that if you have like an uh, an idea that you would like to turn into an op-ed get it ready to pitch or submit by by labor day when all the editors come back to work this would be a great opportunity. So um, the application deadline is technically Monday, but since I've been doing such a bad job of promoting this, I'll, I'll give a few extra days. And you can go to uh, downmasterclass.com and find out the information there. Okay. What else? They should rate and review the podcast. They should rate. You should rate and review the podcast. It helps us a lot. Um, share it if you like it. Tell your friends to listen to it. Um all of that helps get the word out about this podcast and um, we're enjoying doing it and we want to continue doing it. Um, so please also, if you can afford to do so, um, become a paying subscriber on our Substack. Yeah. That helps a lot. We're both um, people who have made a lot of bad choices in terms of our profession. Yeah, I haven't so made we- any <laughs> bad sexual choices, but I've made a lot of bad financial choices. Let me yeah, just say. exactly. So you can help us um, by being a paying subscriber. Um, I have a sub stack, my own sub stack um, called Hold That Thought. I haven't um, posted anything in a little while, um, partially because of this podcast, actually. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but also now I'm sick. Um, but I have a lot of things coming down the chute that I think are very interesting and um, uh, probably are going to get me in trouble, but that's oh, okay. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, good. All right. So yeah. um, please, you know, subscribe, subscribe. Um, yeah, and, and we talk about really juicy stuff in the bonus content, you guys. So if you're not a paid subscriber, you don't know what you're missing. And yeah, you, you literally don't know what you're missing. You so just yeah. don't, um, don't, uh, don't linger in ignorance any longer. 
Yeah. That's what I have to better say. face That's my face the okay. truth. <laughs> All right. All right. See you next time. <laughs> bye bye. Snuggle and